Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. last five years setting up a kind of biological preserve. What kind of park is this? We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. It's, it's a dinosaur. <laughs> There's no doubt our attractions will drive kids out of their minds. Grandpa! We're gonna make a fortune with this place. We're going to open next year. That is if the lawyers don't kill me first. What species is this? It's a velociraptor. Park will open with the basic tour you're about to take. Don't you see the danger shown inherent in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen. You wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. These are aggressive living things that have no idea what century they're in, and they'll defend themselves violently if necessary. Dinosaurs and two species separated by 65 million years of evolution have just been suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Hey, what'd I touch? Uh, I didn't touch anything. We stopped. Anybody hear that? It's a, um... It's an impact armor is what it is. Maybe it's the power trying to come back on. Fences are failing all over the park. Are you hearing this? They shut down the sort of town of all offenses. Fairly alarmed here. Hold on to your butt. Oh no. Jurassic Park back on line. Yeah, that's nice. Here we go. Come on, come on, come on. We gotta get out of here. We gotta get out of here. The only thing that matters now are the people we love. Which is just a delay. 
That's all it is. All major theme parks have delays. But John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. guys welcome to the tragedy of cinema podcast this is episode 53 where yes we are bringing you jurassic park but first um i know a lot of speculation has been um, asked about terrence where he's been what he's been doing um so let me go ahead and put those rumors to rest terrence is alive terrence as well terrence actually recorded uh three episodes with me today unfortunately he had to leave before we got jurassic park recorded but um, we have reached out to um, a certain guest host that has been on before and asked them to be a permanent third-party member for our podcast. Um, he has been with us. Um, you may remember him from uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Um, he is one of my good friends, and we just think that he will be a great addition to the team because um, if Terrence cannot make it, then we do have this one individual that will uh, fill in. Um, he actually sat here and recorded uh, th- uh, three episodes with us, uh, me, Terrence, and, and this gentleman. Um, so we are glad to officially bring Kyle Zayner on board as our third guest host permanently. Um, so the way this is going to work out is we figured it it's easier for us to get together once a month and record one day where we do like three or four episodes and have them in the can and then we can release those throughout the month. So Kyle has graciously accepted our offer to join the team, and he's been a great asset already. So Terrence already had to step out today, but we do have the next few weeks. Terrence does have stuff recorded with us as of today. So be on the lookout. We're back. We're going to be starting releasing stuff every week. Really exciting stuff happening here. Um, we thank everybody for your continued support. Um, the downloads are still going up. We're going across uh, the world, basically, um, from across the countries. And we just thank you, and we love you guys. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the newest member of the Tragedy of Cinema podcast uh, as a official guest host. No longer, he is now an official co-host, Mr. Kyle Zayner. Kyle, welcome aboard. Thank you so much, Jimbo. It is an honor and a privilege to be on the show now as a more permanent member of the whole Tragedy of Cinema podcast. Couldn't be happier to be here, and I look forward to filling in if Case and Terrence you know, is too busy or um, anything else and trying to pick up any slack in the in the whole time frame and make sure we get shows out of great high quality for you guys to enjoy and i hope you enjoy my content and uh hope you enjoy everything we help produce here at the trinity seminar podcast right so um like i said this is our fourth episode that we are recording today and terrence had to leave so bear with us uh kyle is basically overloaded he doesn't know this is his first time going with me uh with a great big movie um the other ones we did were um, lesser known movies not enough information there is a ton of information for this movie um we want to do it justice it was actually requested by uh, natasha ali um riley from over down under in australia 
Um, I'm going to try to get a hold of her here uh, later, and if I can, I'll put that in uh, the second part. This is going to be a two-part at least, maybe a third part, because there's just so much information and so much fun for this movie and so much love. So many awards, so many casts, so many everything. Truly it's an just, iconic film of the century. Right? Right. It's, 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 it's huge. Hmm. Um, so we want to do it justice, but we don't want to just rush through stuff and just throw stuff out there just to get information out there. We want to you know, provide you with the best information and coverage that we can. So with that being said, this is Jurassic Park episode 53. Kyle Zayner, newest member of the Tragedy Cinema. Take it away for Terrence. All right. This is Terrence's part. As usual, I am now new to the show, so I've been thrown out of the fi- out of the frying pan and into the fire <laughs> where I will do Terrence's part, which I'm relatively unfamiliar with, but I still, you know. <laughs> Fake it till you make it, baby. Bear with me. We will make this work together, and if you stay here, I appreciate you all the more. So, all right. Let's get started with Jurassic Park. The movie was released back in June 11th, 1993. Were you born yet? Yeah, I was not born yet. Wow. I, I, was, I was, but uh, I was in, uh, actually with the timeline, mom's belly. So I was, I was, I was a baby. He was born. He was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and for those that don't know that uh, Kyle is actually still younger than Terrence too, by like uh, three or four years. So he's even got a different opinion and version, uh, vision and, and thoughts and reactions of movie, but he's a movie person. So that's why we invited him on board. So that's, that's the can anyways. And yeah, even more millennials. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's <laughs> young people are taking over the world and it's terrible. I hate it too. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, like I said, like June 11th, 1993, the budget was a whole 63 million dollars an impressive amount for the time a huge amount of money for the time especially but it paid off big time because the box office gross was 1.033 billion dollars was that a b with that a- is b with billion wow you know that's and uh, if you adjusted for modern currency which terrence does and i don't um that's a lot more money too <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just put that detail in there. So that's it made incredible money. It's still one of the biggest brands today with you know multiple sequels and full on reboot toys. I want to say like cartoons, video games, video games, everything. Like it's Legos. Just, it is a multimedia juggernaut that competes with other movies like Star Wars or Avengers or anything else. It is it is a supreme movie. It is a gargantuan property and. Uh, I love it. <laughs> All right, going further on, we have the runtime, which is a full 128 minutes long, which uh, is a little bit on the longer side, but definitely uh, you know still an appropriate length for how big this movie was and how you know transformative it was. Rating was a PG-13, you know, so it's a, a little bit of a some mild kind of action and stuff like that, but it doesn't go too over the top and too gore or R-rated violence or something like that mm-hmm. or any kind of cursing or something like that. It's a relatively tame movie with some very serious kind of dire circumstances, but nothing too graphic. Yeah. Directed by the legendary Steven Spielberg, who you know from basically any movie you saw growing up as a child, because let's be honest, Steven Spielberg, you know who he is already. I don't even tell you. But anyways, <laughs> of course, like this is the man who gave you Jaws, the man who gave you Indiana Jones, the man who was like... E.T. You know, even more recent stuff. Like, if you watch Ready Player One, like, you, you've seen Steven Spielberg everywhere. You you are not, like, especially if you're, like, on this side of the globe in America, like, you know who Steven Spielberg is, probably at birth. That's just how it goes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it just it's it's hard-pressed to find anyone in the world doesn't know who Steven Spielberg is because he has had that much of a dramatic infect, impact on the world entertainment. You know, just straightforward, that is what it is. All right, I want to move on to writing credits. This this 
this movie was adapted from the book written by Michael Crichton. Hey, you got it right. We, we, said we, it had, we had some discrepancy about the name there. I thought it was Crichton growing up. Turns out it's Crichton. At least that's according to what audiobook says. <laughs> so we know that for certain. Definitely canonical, as I said. And he wrote many... Um, uh, Michael Crichton is one of the greatest, most prolific authors in the world, too. He also wrote things like Twister and Westworld and 13th Warrior and just also one of those all-time great authors who put out a thousand books, it feels like, and uh, is just a, truly a legend in his medium in his first place. And he also... Michael Crichton was the charged with adapting his own novel for the screenplay. So he's basically playing double double. He wrote the book and then he wrote the screenplay too to adapt his movie. So he had full approval of basically everything he was doing and really, um, you know, made sure that this was his true artistic intent as well as Steven Spielberg's and actually make this film as good as it is. And it is a truly amazing film. Yeah. But assisting with the screenplay write out was, um, David Coop, who, um, also is a legend in the filmmaking world. Also responsible for movies, um, helped out like movies like screenplay writing in Spider-Man 2002, Mission Impossible in 1996, and War of the Worlds back in 2005. And if you go back on his whole IMD page, you'll find many other movies too. He's a man who has always stayed busy in Hollywood making great films and uh, should be truly respected to his day, you know, in my opinion. And then moving on, I believe we go on to the next um, synopsis portion of the story. And uh, synopsis, like I said, everyone who's seen Jurassic Park you know the story is, so I'm going to kind of butcher the synopsis, but you'll still get it anyways. Basically, um, a bunch of research scientists, archaeologists who do Jurassic, Jurassic um, dinosaur studies are invited to an island by a, pro, by a reclusive billionaire to check out an island, and then they go there and discover that they've genetically engineered real-life dinosaurs. But as you might think of, hey, maybe making real-life dinosaurs might pose some dangers, yeah, turns out it is dangerous, and they proceed to destroy the world. And Right, so... Yeah. Um, it's basically a zoo for dinosaurs, if you will. Uh. Yeah, literally, yeah. Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park, petting zoo for dinosaurs. Go up, stick your hand in the dinosaur's mouth, everything will go fine. Anyways, moving on to the um, awards. Ba -ba -da -ba -ba. Drum roll, please, and all this good stuff. Um, we have... A bunch. A bunch of awards. It won, basically... If there's an award to win that year, it pretty much went home with it. Um, including awards like the Academy Awards in the USA in 1994. Won the... Uh, <laughs> it won an Oscar for Best Sound, Best Effects, Sound Effects Editing, and also Best Effects and Visual Effects, which of course it did. I mean, it's Jurassic Park. This has some of the most iconic scenes in Hollywood of just straight up period, even today, um, let alone for that time, it was just blowing people's minds. Did you think that when you were watching the screen that those were real dinosaurs? I, I wasn't born yet, so uh, but I'm saying like you know, no, first I mean, time I when that you film, watched it, um, yeah, yeah, I mean like you watch that film and there's no difference to you. You're, I mean, at that point, like it was out of theaters, so I'm watching it on a VHS tape. That's just a real dinosaur on a screen to me, man. Right? You know, that's an amazing film, and just I truly like. And, you know, the effects, like, you can see some more of the scenes today on, like, a 4K player or something like that. But, like, in general, like, those effects were just groundbreaking and they hold up incredibly well. Mm -hmm. And it's still just awe-inspiring to watch because you just, you just, you realize you just never see it. <laughs> you know? So, truly a, a beautiful, amazing movie. Um, moving on to the BAFTA Awards. Um, it won the Best Special Effects Award. No surprises there. And then it was also a winner of the Lloyd Banks People's Vote for the Most Popular Film, which, of course, it was. I mean, it's Jurassic Park, like we said. 
<sighs> Moving on again, we go to the winner for best sound design, best visual effects, and best art direction for the BAFTA category. Next up, we have the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. In 2016, it was a nominee for the best DVD and Blu-ray collection, which it won. Uh, not nominee, it didn't. It was nominated, so it didn't win, but it was nominated for like listen, like the Jurassic Park collection. It's great. And then same time, we move on where we have winners of like the Saturn Award, where it won best science fiction film. Best Director related to Steven Spielberg. Best Writing re- rewarded to Michael Critch- Michael Crichton and <laughs> David Cope. Almost said it, didn't say it. You didn't hear that. Best Special Effects was awarded, you know, for um, the workers on the film: um, Dennis Murren, Stan Winston, Phil Tippett, Michael Letterney. <laughs> I'm sure that was pronounced right. And then also <laughs> there were nominees for um, they were nominees for Best Actress like Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Wayne Knight. Um, Joseph Mazzello and Arena Richards. Then there's Best Music by John Williams. And Best Costumes by Soar Moore and H. Eric H. Sandberg. Also, continuing on with awards, which there are still a lot. <laughs> <laughs> awards of the Japanese Academy in 1994. It was the winner for the award of the Japanese Academy for Best Foreign Film. Keep in mind, this is the Japanese Award, so for them it's a foreign film. You, you guys get it. I don't, I don't need to explain this. <laughs> Next up, we have the Bambi Awards in 1993. It was won the Best International Film category. Uh Yep. Next up, we have the Blue Ribbon Awards in 1994 for the best foreign language film. Um, it's for was awarded to Steven Spielberg directly. Next up, we have the BMI Film and TV Awards in 1994. It was the um, John Williams Music Score was awarded best music that year. Of course, it is. his music always deserves to win awards. It's John Williams makes a score. You just give him a trophy automatically. You know, his and music the score makes for this man, it's really great. I mean, the first time you hear it, you know, when they're opening the gates or whatever, it just Truly iconic. I mean, that's the only reason. Like, they, you know, they didn't replace it for another. Mo- you know, when they make like the reboot in Jurassic World, like they didn't replace it. They just kind of reused it in a new way. Added a little thing, right? You know, it's just you can't you can't fix perfect, man. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> all right. Next up for the uh, Zeke Zek Lions. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce them. The Zek Lions Awards in 1994. Uh, is that check? Check check lines. Ah, uh, boy. I, I know words. You're, you're, you're left to right, Terrence. top to bottom. I got this for down. perfectly. Can I say exactly? <laughs> I'm channeling his inner spirit within me right now. <laughs> you know, I believe in Terrence. Terrence believes in me. As such, we cannot pronounce words. Um, the check lines in 1994. It was the best winner for the best foreign language film. Next up for the. Gen, uh, the General Film and Media Review, the Dutch film in Media and in It was the winner for the jury prize, the seal of approval of Recommended. Next up, the Golden Screen Award in Germany was awarded. Golden Screen with two stars. I assume two stars is very significant there. <laughs> and let's see, we're going to move on to Academy Awards like the Guinness World Record Award in 1994. Um, it was the winner for the most Oscars won for visual effects. Um, oh, it was, it was awarded to Dennis Murren for his work on movies like The Abyss, Terminator 2, E.T., Indiana Jones, and Inner Space. So that man... Inner Space was great. Inner Space is an amazing film. Maybe you should do that movie sometime if you haven't already. And next up, we have the Hugo Awards in 1994. We have... Where Steven Spielberg, David Koop, and Michael Crichton won the Best Dramatic Presentation Award for their work on Jurassic Park. Next up, continuing on, we have the Jupiter Award in 1993. Steven Spielberg took home the Best International Film Award and Best International Director Award. 
Falling forward, we have the Las Vegas Film Critics Society Awards in 2011. Um, in 2011, it was awarded for the best DVD combo pack for containing um, Jurassic Park, Lost World, and Jurassic Park 3. So it was winner for the best DVD prize of there. Moving forward, we have the Motion Picture Sounds Editor in the USA, 1994. It was the winner for the best sound editing, best sound editing and sound effects, which it obviously totally earned. And sound effects, once again, just like incredible stuff. There's a lot of great trivia we'll be going into later in this podcast that we'll show you about, like some of the sound effects they use for the dinosaur simply that are just incredible. Next up for the awards again, we have the National Film Preservation Board in USA in 2018. It won. It was a winner of the National Film Registry and National Film Preservation Board. Next up, we have the Online Film and Television Association 2018, who um, entered it into the OFTA Film Hall of Fame for motion picture. Um, then we have the winners for People's Choice Award in 1994. It was their favorite motion picture. Motion picture, sorry, <laughs> not picture. You know, just you know, working for the baseball. Um, Publicist Guild of America in 1984. It won the best motion pincer, the best best motion pincer. Wow, <laughs> uh, my tongue is tied up in a noose right now. If you guys can't see, I'm sorry, but I'll try and untie it soon enough. Um, next up, we have the <laughs> the Young Artist Awards for the Outstanding Family Motion Picture. Best youth Best Youth Actor was awarded to Joseph Manzello, and Best Youth Actor was also so lead, oh, uh, co-starring and leading role was both awarded to Joseph Mazzello and Arena Richards, and that wraps up the review port the the reward portion of Jurassic Park. Do you need a, a, a puff of an inhaler a or something? Puff uh, inhaler, uh, take a deep breath. Just we need some. I, I just you know, uh, <laughs> I need a respirator now. <laughs> Very that well. Was lot, um, that was a lot of words. And you know what? That's not even all the awards they won. That's just what um, Terrence wanted highlighted and, and talked about. And I respect um, Terrence's will on that, so right. I, I, I so, said everything. <laughs> um, I know uh, when there's a great movie, you can tell usually by the amount of awards. Not that all movies deserve an award, but when there's one that is this caliber and enjoyable, then it wins a lot of awards, and you can tell. Um, there is uh, a bunch of notes. Um, well, I mean, we're looking at over 100 pages of notes. So, obviously, um, I... There's so much stuff here that we went through and highlighted stuff. I've split it with Kyle. Uh, we're going to be bouncing back and forth on stuff that we've highlighted that we thought the other person should know. Um, it was going to be three ways, but obviously Terrence uh, had to go. His wife's not feeling well. So um, bear with us. Um, we're going to start just going through these here in a little bit. Um, and we're going to discuss stuff as we go along the way. So this is going to be more of like an open discussion slash throwing in information um, a little bit different than what you're used to because there was just so much that I could not just do this all myself. So um, we'll get started. I'm going to go ahead and start with the cast. Um, so this has the great Sam Neill as Dr. Alan Grant, uh, probably my favorite person of the uh, Jurassic Park world. Um, he's most known for uh, Thor Ragnarok, and he's going to be in the upcoming Thor Love and Thunder as Odin. Uh, <laughs> Lauren Dern as Dr. Ellie Sattler. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, obviously, Dr. Ian Malcolm. Uh, he was obviously the fly, and he was in Independence Day. Uh, yep. He was been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, he was also in Thor Ragnarok uh, recently, too. Yeah. Was he? Yes, he was Thor Ragnarok. He was the master, I believe. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Attenborough was John Hammond. Um, he played in The Great Escape as Bartlett Big X. Uh, Bob Peck as Robert Muldone. Um, he was in Lord of the Flies as a Marine officer. Joseph Mazzelio as Tim Murphy. He was in recently Bohemian Rhapsody 
as John Deacon. Ariana Richards as Lex Murphy. Uh, she was in Tremors. You remember Tremors? Yeah, Tremors. Great, great movie. Legendary film. Kevin Bacon. Love him. Of course, it wouldn't be a movie without a great movie without legendary Samuel L. Jackson plays Ray Arnold. And I put the movies he's been in. No need to explain. Do I really need to list? It's Samuel he's just Jackson. So iconic. I, yeah. Um, it's Snakes Samuel on Jackson. a Plane. Uh, Nick Fury of in the Avengers movies. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne Knight. Um, he played Dennis Nedry, who is uh, probably the most famous for playing Newman yeah. on Seinfeld. It's a legendary uh, actor in his own right. Too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Martin Ferrero as Donald Gennaro. B.D. Wong as Dr. Henry Wu. Um, he was most famous for Mulan, where he played Shang or Shang. Uh, Jerry Moline or Mullen as Dr. Harding. Miguel Sandoval as Juanito Rostagno. Uh, Cameron Thor as Dodson. Dodson. Look, Dodson. It's Dodson. It's Dodson, everybody. <laughs> See, nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you'll understand that one. And Greg Burson as the voice of Mr. DNA. Uh, he is the most famous for Star Wars Episode One. He was Boss Nass. He was also in Samurai Jack as Baba Louie. Baba Louie, Baba Louie. Uh, what's that say there? Uh, Richard Riley has a cameo appearance as the voice of the Jurassic Park Tour Vehicle Guide. Uh, he was in Patch Adams as Dr. Titan. So, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to get into this movie. Recline your chair. We're going to scale the mountain that is Jurassic Park. If you like long episodes or multiple episodes, get ready because we are getting ready to dissect oh, this movie. Um, and like I said, there is so much information. Uh, we might uh, go over the same thing twice um, because, I mean... You can There's, hear this. It's just... <laughs> uh, it, it is a... Yeah, it is a mountain of information to cover that largely kind of overlaps with each other in many respects, and it's hard to keep track of every little detail Let's just see. Me and Kyle started on these notes probably about, uh, I don't know, 8.30 this morning, and about 9.45, Terrence got here, and we were still working on the notes, so <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bunch. So here we go. Um, Should we go into any kind of synopsis work first, or do you want to... I thought you already go? did the synopsis. Oh, you, oh, no, you already did it. Oh, yeah, I did already do the synopsis, didn't I? Yes, I did. Wow, man. Yeah. You are channeling Terrence's energy again. <laughs> Any failure is me being Terrence. That's just, if, if I mess up at all. Well, we have a saying Terrence. here in the podcast. It's called We Terrenced It. Okay. Terrence. So you Terrenced exactly. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, some things that Jurassic Park did get wrong is the uh, recent discovery of dinosaurs. That Some of the dinosaurs that they have portrayed in the movie aren't accurate. Um, yeah. But I'm not going to hold that against them because, you know what, um, when I was a kid, um, we used to go to the store and I would get those uh, little plastic bag of dinosaurs, man. You know, you have the Stegosaurus and, and the Bronchiosaurus and, mm-hmm. and all those. Yeah. Loved them. Uh, hours and hours of entertainment with those things. So Yeah, uh, you know, I think that's actually, you know, it, it's still better for the film to have, like, you know, like, if we want the actually accurate dinosaur designs that we even knew about by the time the film released, instead of having feathers and being bird-like, then it's still nicer. But still, like, if your choice is, like, have these kind of, like, fruity bird monsters, or you have the monster that looks like like a, the, the yard tool aisle from Sears got wrapped in leather, <laughs> like, you're going to choose the, the leather yard tools, because that's a lot more threatening and cool to see. Right. So I totally get it. Right. <laughs> Love it. Um, this movie and the book generated so much interest in dinosaurs that the study of paleontology has had a record increase in students. Totally see why. That makes total sense. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just... It's, you know, it's just 
I mean, so many other fields kind of like do the same thing where it's just like you, know, you see Jurassic Park and it's like well, obviously I want to know more about dinosaurs now than learn the sad reality of things <laughs> uh, Michael Crichton intended John Hammond to be a dark Walt Disney and he pretty much was um, the way this ended up turning because you could see that um, what he created and the rides he was going with you can see that in Disneyland Disney World if you will mm. but like um he skipped out on a lot of the safety features. If you notice in the film, you know what I mean? He's a lot of trivia money. facts we'll get into later definitely kind of amplify the fact that, like, yeah, like, you know, you'll see very often John Hammond is talking about no expense no expense spared, but it's clear that him, he didn't necessarily follow through that promise in the... in The, the in security the, aspects. In of the it. security aspects or safety aspects of his park and also was an incredibly vicious man that who, who wanted to have the image of being this... You know, um, you know, incredibly generous and kind of a person who knew who made sure you're perfectly safe, but in reality, he kind of fell short of that. Right. Much like he might accuse Walt Disney of of being at the time of being, you know, <laughs> right. Uh, Universal Pictures paid Michael Crichton two million dollars for the rights to his novel before it was even published. That is huge. Before it's even published, you just got to talk about the respect for the man at the end of the time. Like he's had several books beforehand, and then like have that book, which is like, yeah, we we know we want whatever Michael Crichton is working on even before it's published. You know. Now, was there ever a Michael Crichton movie po- uh, made before this? Do you know? Oh, uh, not off the top of my head. No, I don't know. It's like you know, I mean, like uh, depends what years. Like movies like The Andromeda Strain or Inner Space or something like well, that. Well, Andromeda Strain, I think, was like nineteen seventy one, if I remember right. So, so like you, yeah. So there was no. Yeah, so clearly, there were movies before then that had uh, specs of what you know. They they knew Michael Crichton had chops, basically. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and and our notes are going to talk a lot about the dinosaurs, especially the T Rex. So um, we'll be jumping around, uh, talking about different dinosaurs and different things about the T-Rex will be coming up. So the infamous Tyrannosaurus roars were a combination of dog, penguin, tiger, alligator, and elephant sounds. So you mix them all together, sounded ferocious. Uh, The T-Rex occasionally malfunctioned due to the heavy rains. Uh, Producer Kathleen Kennedy recalls, the T-Rex went into the heebie-jeebie sometimes, scared the crap out of us. We'd be, like, eating lunch, and all of a sudden, a T-Rex would come alive. <laughs> At first, we didn't know what was happening, and then we realized it was the rain. You'd hear people start screaming. Give <laughs> 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 you a like, Yeah. Uh, like, most terrifying thing in the world, and all of a sudden, it starts moving as, like, a Mavis rise. Like, oh, no. <laughs> the uh, Mr. DNA cartoon that Steven Spielberg introduced into this at around the 25-minute mark was a way of him condensing much of this novel's exposition into just a few minutes, which I thought that was really a smooth transition. And it also made it a little cartoony. Uh, you know, it kind of reminded me of the, uh, the what was it, the Schoolhouse Rocks? You know, the little, it, it made it where you, it's catchy, and you, you actually liked the little guy. Yeah, it worked, it worked too far, because, like, you know, it's clear that John Hammond wants to appeal to kids, and also, like, this film also has, since, you know, like, just play the bit that works for kids, <laughs> you know, for the movie itself, too. And that explains everything we need to know about dinosaurs and is plausible enough that we look by it and like okay this is real enough to me uh, john williams scored the movie at the end of february 1993 and recorded it a month later he felt he needed to write pieces that would convey a sense of awe and fascination given it dealt with the overwhelming happiness and excitement that would emerge from seeing live dinosaurs and i'm surprised john williams hasn't written out of ideas of all the movies that he's produced and wrote and scores he's wrote uh, ideals he's just amazing amazing talent it's one of those people just like like it it defies all logic. You don't think people like, you know, no regular person continues to have hit after hit after hit after hit. You know, part of us getting opportunity, but also like surely that man has just has a uh, unfathomable amount of talent and work that he just knows how to make great bumps for us. Right. 
Um, we'll also talk about several people as we go through because the notes are all jumbled together uh, about people who uh, tried out for parts who they thought would uh, be a nice fit for the part and then who turned down parts. Uh, so the first one on my list is Harrison Ford was offered and turned down the role of Alan Grant uh, as he felt that the part just wasn't right for him. After seeing the movie, he says that he had made the right decision. Well, I mean, if you say so, but I still think he would have done a good job. I feel like that's what anyone would say. It's like whatever decision you made that had to be the right decision. But I mean, right. you know, I, well, looking through the trivia sites too, like it was clear that like pretty much everyone in Hollywood was in contention for these roles because it was such a big film even before it was released that people knew it's like okay, if there's an actor in town that has a big name, you know, he could play a role in this movie. You know, right? So you know, um, especially with his um, all the movies that he's already done, um, he said, and I think bringing a big name to the screen like that would have made him probably even more money. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, you them, see but... what it did already. But um, we'll we'll talk about it uh, somewhere in these notes over the next hours, <laughs> over the next few weeks. I think is when years. James Cameron wanted to do this film, he had his own cast that we talked about would have made a totally different movie. But we'll get there. Um, all of the cast were given a Raptor model signed by director Steven Spielberg as a gift. That's awesome. Oh, I man. See that fact. It says uh, Ariana Richards has hers in her house to shock anyone coming in. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's model has a prime spot in his house and is his cherished object. Laura Dern put her Raptor model in her son's room near his crib. When he was older and saw it, he screamed like never before. She had to put it in storage, but hopes one day the two will be friends. <laughs> so I was like, wow. <laughs> it's been a few years, so hopefully they got back together and then resolved the differences. <laughs> um, the crew had to have safety meetings uh, about the T-Rex. It weighed 12,000 pounds and was extremely powerful. They used flashing lights to announce when it was about to come on and to alert the crew because if you stood next to it and the head went at, by at speed, it felt like a bus going by. Yeah, I even got some more facts here. Like it was like actually like six point one meters tall. It was like twenty feet, you know, and it was twelve meters long, forty feet long, basically. And uh, <laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah. You know, and just like they, they just wanted to throw, you know, reality out the water, like throw physics out the window and create a T Rex that can move at sixty miles an hour. You know, even though if his hall bones would be busted in that right. Yeah. You know. Um, you know what's crazy is there is only about fifteen minutes of dinosaur footage in this movie. Nine minutes are Stan Winston's animatronics, and six minutes of it is industrial light and magic. But it's only fifteen minutes of the movie. You think about it. You think it's. Like it's like an it's ever, the build up, you it's know. It's an ever mean? present threat in your mind, yet it never shows up. It's similarly kind of like Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Like you don't see that often, but it's always. And, in your and I think I think a, a lot of it is the 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 sounds they use to, you know, the musical score for one, and then like the um, sound effects, like the roars and stuff. You hear that stuff, but you never see them. You know, what I mean, you could shake a bush. You know, what I mean, yeah. or they lower the goat to the the pin yeah and bring it back up you know and you see it's gone and tattered and all that yeah. and the storm and all that just really well done and you, yeah, it, it, it's just gonna show like you could shower steven spielberg and accolades all day long and it still wouldn't be enough but one of the things he also like he doesn't get paid for maybe enough is that uh you know he has a less is more approach to filmmaking that goes to these gargantuan films like jaws or Jurassic park where it's like you know out of, either out of circumstances or artistic choice it's clear that he refrained from using these dinosaurs too much to take away kind of like their magic and it truly worked well for the T-Rex, especially. Like, even though T-Rex only has 15 minutes of screen time, it's still, like, one of the, you know, pivotal points in the movie that, you know, constantly lingers in your mind. And truly is a wonder. Oh, yeah. Steve's works great, guys. <laughs> right. Um, and it's like I told you, one of my favorite parts of this movie is 
the dinosaurs look so real that when she's during those uh, the broken down I guess vehicle carrier and that Tyrannosaurus Rex looks it leans down you know and she shines that light right in his eye and his people dilates and shrinks back man it's one of the best scenes Goose of the bumps. movie yeah every time it's yeah. Like, it's scared to death it's, like it's scary just, yeah yeah you watch you like <laughs> you watch that on Italian VHS screen years later and he's still just like that monster's gonna kill me right now right <laughs> uh, the Triceratops dung which is another word for poop. Uh, didn't Droppings. smell at all. Yeah, dropping. <laughs> it was made of clay, mud, and straw. It was drizzled in honey and papayas, so flies would swarm near it. James Cameron has stated that he wanted to make this movie, but the rights were brought a few hours before he could even bid. Upon seeing this movie, Cameron realized that Spielberg was the better choice to direct it, as his version would have been much more violent. He was predicting it to be aliens with dinosaurs, which wouldn't be fair to children who related to dinosaurs. The visual effects were directly influenced by Cameron's Terminator 2 Judgment Day in 1991. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's still like, I would have loved to see James Cameron's Jurassic Park, but I totally, um, I appreciate Steven Spielberg's more because he did make the, you know, the kid-friendly atmosphere of just like, you know, kids love dinosaurs even before Jurassic Park, but because of Jurassic Park, kids love dinosaurs even more. Oh, yeah, 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 and what a cash cow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, kids, uh, always market to kids. <laughs> yeah, uh, This movie opened on Friday, June 11, 1993, and broke box office, box office records its first weekend with $47 million. It eventually went on to make more than $900 million worldwide. Yeah, even on the box office paper here I'm looking at, we like we, it eventually reached the point of you know over a billion dollars. Right. And who even knows how much money it's made over the lifetime of the product. That's not even including things like toys and other branding deals, comic books, video games, movie, and other movies. Like, well, Steven Spielberg received $250 million from this movie's gross and profit participation. $250 million just for this movie. And they said at the time that this was the, the, the highest paid director... Uh, profit yeah. thing that had ever came out. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, even now, like $250 million to anyone in a movie is almost unheard of. Unheard you know, like, of. Like, like, you feel like it's like, I think like Robert Downey Jr. in Avengers Endgame made something like that kind of money, but like, even, like, it's unheard of for actors to get paid that much or directors even to get paid that right. much. You know? uh, Michael Crichton has uh, estimated that the screenplay only has about 10 to 20% of his novel's content, which surprises me because if he was in charge of the screenplay, I wondered if why he didn't put more of it in there. I mean, I think you, you have to respect your writing process and understanding like what works for film and what works for books. I mean, his book, I've read it too when I was uh, in middle school and it's a lot darker and more gruesome as it goes. Um, and uh, some things would just not translate to a... A, a youth-friendly atmosphere for kids, in a way, where it's just like, you know... Well, so. give us a director's cut or something, you know what I mean? Well, I, I, or I, I that, cut. that stuff was never filmed. But, uh, yeah, author cut, but the author cut would probably be closer to like what a James Cameron would have made were aliens with, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> with dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, when the audience first sees the T-Rex, director Steven Spielberg wanted it from inside the SUV, so the audience feels like they're experiencing it right there with the characters and feeling fear, which we've stated with the flashlight. Uh, during the scenes with the T-Rex, Steven Spielberg would roar like one through the megaphone. <laughs> that cast cracked up whenever he did that. Sam Neill stated that was kind of more funny than anything, and the acting part was not laughing. It's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's got to be a challenge. <laughs> the director's like, oh, I got an idea. I'll just roar like, <laughs> like, in, like a dog. The most difficult effect to pull off, um, what do you think it was? It was the most difficult effect to pull off. Most difficult effect to pull off. Ah, I don't know off the top of my head, but if I had to guess, I would say it probably had to do with anything to do with the T-Rex at all. It does, but it's the um, it's not what you think. It's the most difficult effect to pull off was the vibrating rings of water. Ah, 
Steven Spielberg wanted the T-Rex to announce its presence somehow before the audience saw it and got the idea from watching the mirror in his car vibrate from the bass effects while listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire. When Michael Letary tried to replicate that with water, it was harder than any of the dinosaur effects. Nobody knew how to do it, but told Spielberg they could. The night before the shoot, Lannery put a glass of water on a guitar, and when he plucked the strings, that did it. So for the scene, they fed guitar strings under the dashboard to get the effect. A man on the floor plucked the strings to achieve the effect. That is incredible. You wouldn't think that would be the hardest thing to shoot either well when you're doing something when you're doing a totally new thing you never know what challenges you get until you're you but know, why would you tell the it? director you can do it and you're like hey i don't want to do it when they say money you say i can do it and even if you can it's <laughs> it's lying but also money i guess right you know like i said billion dollars <laughs> uh, shortly after nedry makes his first appearance in the control room uh during his argument with hammond one can clearly see jaws playing in a small video window on one of the nerd uh nedry's computer screens that movie was, of course, directed by you-know-who, Steven Spielberg, and was Spielberg's first experiment with animatronic animals, namely the giant shark that built the movie. Um, Ariana Ra- uh, Richards was upset by the fact that an action figure of her character was not produced. Kenner only made dolls of Grant, Sadler, Muldoon, Nedry, Tim, and eventually Malcolm. How would you, that would be? I'd be mad, too, if I didn't get an action figure if I was in the movie, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Sam Neill actually injured his hand, uh, lighting the flare he used to distract the Tyrannosaur. According to Neil, it dropped some burning phosphorus on me and got under my watch and took a chunk out of my arm. Ooh, that's... Why phosphorus says no joke. Right. <laughs> uh, generally speaking, any shot of a full dinosaur was computer generated, but shots of parts of dinosaurs were all animatronics. Uh, the sound of the T-Rex footsteps were created by cut sequoias crashing to the ground. Uh, this grossed, as we said, over $402 million in the U.S. and just over $1 billion worldwide. Steven Spielberg made the 250 the largest sum of any individual movie has made from a movie. I mean, that still just blows my mind. I mean, two hundred fifty yeah. million. Yeah, no, I want to say even. Like, I would call him Doctor Evil. Two hundred fifty million, million dollars. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The kitchen scene was Ariana Richards' favorite scene to shoot. It filmed in two weeks with raptors there most of the time, and a man in a suit some of the time. Anyone in a raptor suit could only do it for up to fifteen minutes because they were bent over in a downhill skiing position, which is very physical. The raptor clicking its toenails were uh, done uh, by a puppeteer walking on raptor legs. So that's pretty cool, too. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. But it looks ridiculous, though. <laughs> uh, the sounds made by the Brachiosaurus were a combination of well and donkey sounds. <laughs> I'm a donkey, I'm a dog- not the Shrek donkey. Yeah, just- um, a, rattlesnake, a rattlesnake made the noise of the uh, Dilophosaurus neck rattle because it was scary to listen to. The cut, uh, cute Dilophosaurus sound was made by the uh, hopping chirps of a swan. Hmm. And this is something me and you talked about a little bit off the air. A baby triceratops was built for a scene where one of the kids gets to ride it. Uh, Special effects technicians worked on the effects for a year, but the scene was cut on the very last minute as Steven Spielberg thought it would ruin the pacing of the movie. A similar scene, however, was used in Jurassic World in 2015. Yeah, sure enough, and I understand why. I mean, I like you know that movie takes such a you know Jurassic Park takes such a tonal shift once the T Rex breaks out and everything goes you know you know the, it hits the fan as it were, and that T Rex is such a you know it goes from like fun discovery movie to oh my god we're all gonna die horror movie. So having that Triceratops scene at the end would just kind of like that's a, a point of levity, granted, but also it does distract from the rest of the. Oh, point. and by the way, there's a hurricane. <laughs> yeah, by the way, there's a hurricane. Yeah, that, that too, yeah. Um, <laughs> now they're Hurricane Dress Park. Dilophosaurus never walks because it was difficult to get the uh, weight shifting and the movement right. 
A trench was cut into the floor of the set for the puppeteers, but Steven Spielberg elected to have it just appear instead to make the scene more ominous and surprising. He also wanted more water for the scene coming down the hillside with every fire hydrant going in the studio until they ran out. Michael Lantieri joked every now and then, just splash him with something so he feels there's more water. To this day, Spielberg still feels that that scene needed more water. (laughs) Wayne Knight thought it a miserable scene to shoot, sliding down things covered in mud, soaking wet. He was 327 pounds and he could barely walk, but he loved watching it. Uh, Can you imagine? More water? What's this need? More water! And he's just just like, ugh. Wayne Knight, just miserable, I bet. Yeah, but that scene scene sticks out in my mind, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it just speaks a lot to like you know, a lot of, you know granted they're they're paid extremely well, but also like these you know a lot of these actors are being real troopers because like, and how many times did he have to do the scene? Yeah, yeah. How many times have to do that scene over and over again? Also, like it's like just completely soaking wet and miserable in the mud and have to get cleaned up, do it all over again and over again right. and over again. Just you got to be a trooper to get through that because sometimes like I don't care how much you're getting paid, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> uh, except for some very brief glimpses in the opening scene, the adult velociraptors, often cited as the most memorable dinosaurs in this movie, don't even make an on-screen appearance until over one hour and forty-three minutes into the movie. You know, you know, you, you don't start the movie with the showstopper, so you got to say that. <laughs> really, really, if you're being honest. <laughs> uh, the dinosaurs were billed as the most accurate ever created on film, which um, I just talked about at the beginning of this about how they've recently uncovered some other ones where they actually got them wrong. Uh, but yeah, they are really awesome to look at and behold. We're learning stuff every day and like it's a, it's it's a, it's amazing how much we know and how much we don't know when it comes to dinosaurs and archaeology. So Spielberg had. Yeah, Words. Spielberg actually delayed the start of the filming by a couple of weeks to get the cast that he wanted. Uh, first, he allowed uh, Richard Ottenborough to finish post-production on Chaplin in 1992. He also waited until Sam Neill could finish filming Family Pictures in 1993. Sam Neill ended up only having a weekend off before fi- uh, between finishing that movie and starting this one. Wow, that's so he only got two days off. Two days off, you know, yeah, a weekend. Yeah. Wow, it's like it's definitely worth it. I'm sure he got oh, yeah, his paycheck, yeah, and, yeah. and I'm probably he's got some merchandise yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, a lifetime of revenue. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> um, all of the merchandise, T-shirts, stuffed dinosaurs, lunchboxes, flasks, etc., shown in the movie were in some part created to be sold with the movie. Yeah, so you know, like baseballs a flamethrower. You it's know, got that, that almost like Reagan era comedy where it's just like, hey, we're just gonna make all the toys and ads in the movie and then right. sell them later. Yeah. Uh, for the premiere, Steven Spielberg turned or yeah turned up in one of the Jurassic Park tour vehicles. I think that's awesome. <laughs> um, I seen somebody not too long ago driving one around town. I thought it was pretty cool. There's a lot of them out there. People just like you know getting old Ford Explorers and just retrofitting them out. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, this briefly held the box office record until it was beaten by Titanic in 1997. Uh, the Dilophosaurus spit used a paintball mechanism that actually spat from the model's mouth. The venom uh, was made out of methacryl and KY jelly with some food coloring mixed in. <laughs> yeah. You gotta admit, like, also, like, Wayne Knight probably didn't like that either, getting blasted in the face. Probably for, like, I'm gonna guess at least more than one cut. <laughs> yeah. I would have known that. I Just mean, you got splat. One, you, got, oh. you got one say. You know, I don't know. I bet it's like two because, like, one, you get hit first time, you're like, no, this is so awful. And it's like, you gotta do it again. Oh, one more. <laughs> yeah. Many errors were corrected digitally. Some stunt people were made to look like the actors and actresses, and in one scene, an entire Ford Explorer was digitally generated. 
Oh wow! I know there's um, one scene. This is uh, off the top of my head, but um, when the um, the young female actress, um, you know, was uh, almost fell through a, a tiled roof, and basically like whole thing was like use a stunt double to do it. But when she crawled up, she looked up with the wrong face with the stunt double, so they had to digitally put her face onto the um, stunt huh. doubles actors. It was a really incredible scene, <laughs> you know. Uh, before Steven Spielberg uh, decided to use animatronic dinosaurs and computer graphics imagery. He wanted to use stop-motion animation for the dinosaur fix and had Phil Tippett put together a short demo of the kitchen scene using claymation dinosaurs. Uh, Barbie dolls were substituted for the actual actors. <laughs> uh, I remember saying, like, yeah, he originally he didn't like the final results of it, but his kid his kids actually loved it originally, but he still wanted to go forward and try and do more of a blend of CGI and uh, practical effects and other kind of stop-motion work. You know. uh, one of the biggest influences of this movie uh, for uh, making when making this movie was... King Kong, 1933. Steven Spielberg won the T-Rex's roar to sound like a King Kong roar, particularly at the climax of the movie. Um, Here we go. When Grant feeds the Brachiosaur, the head was 12 feet high on a dolly so it can move on wheels, and the actors and actresses would have given uh, would have something to which to react. The Brachiosaur snot was methacryl. Steven Spielberg insisted it be green if it, had, if it has a cold. Ariana Richards gets asked about that scene every single Jurassic Park interview she's done. She refuses to talk about it anymore. <laughs> to create the sound of the sneeze, sound designer Gary Reitstrom used the combination of a Wells blowhole and a fire hose uh, turning on from the Skywalker Ranch Fire Department. For the singing, he slowed down a donkey yodel and stretched it out into a song. <laughs> so there's just so much information just in that little sense. So much work went into every sound effect. Like that's clearly why they won the awards that they won because it's just clear that it's just like every single sound effect is like we gotta make something totally new from scratch and just get every single kind of animal to get just right. Um, you know? this was selected for the preservation of the National Film Ministry by the Library of Congress in two thousand eighteen for being culturally, historically, or uh, aesthet- aesthetically significant. According to Fandango, now we talked about this too, it would cost approximately twenty three comma 432 comma 400 comma 000 to build a real life Jurassic Park in 2015 US dollars that is a lot of money i don't even that's let's see that's millions billions trillions quadrillions Sink it to zillions. I don't I, know. I sure that, I Dinosaur that, billions. I don't. Yeah, trillions of dollars and just. It's it, a it, Jurassic it, number. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Jurassic, truly. Yeah. And uh, just. <laughs> there's a reason no one's done it yet. <laughs> that's, well, that's well I mean, I'm sure somebody would think of it do it soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle, you got some stuff you want to go over there? Uh, yeah, yeah. I got plenty of different facts. Yeah, I was going to say, we got plenty of stuff. So. Yeah, I'm letting you, kinda, I, you take a load on your facts, and I guess take a look on some of my facts. Um, I'm going to just, um, I don't want to go complete list for list because otherwise I'm going to cover the information you already covered too. Um, let's fun fact. Um, the first, um, my favorite scene in the whole movie is when you first see the first dinosaur, the Brachiosaurus. And, um, I guess a fun facts about that. When designing the Brachiosaurus for the first film, Mark McCreary visited a zoo that was keeping African elephants. You sell the elephants to give the film's Brachiosaurus its impressive mass and weight. From studying these animals, also helps give the skin of the Brachiosaurus a tough and leathery look, which you notice in the film altogether. What was he? What was he studying? Uh, he was studying um, African elephants, elephants. At, at a local okay. zoo. He actually studying them, watching them how they walk and how like they just kind of like you know those flat, those giant flat feet that just right. push all that mass down. And the Brachiosaurus was a uh, that was his main inspiration. If you watch the film, yeah, it just it looks very much like an elephant kind of walking and moving and talking, just you know exponentially larger. And uh, 
The Brachiosaurus also was the first CGI dinosaur to be created during post during post production of Jurassic Park. During the creation of the CG of the CG model, director Spielberg would frequently critique it. Uh, Spielberg requested that the Brachiosaurus that appeared in the reveal scene in, that was appeared in the reveal scene would be made larger. But when Industrial Light Magic made it twice the size it was intended to be, it towered over the branches. And when it reared its right hand, when it, when, it, when it reared up on its hind legs, so it was just like they made it way too big by accident. <laughs> so to counteract this, they made the head and the neck of the Brock's the Brachiosaurus um, lower and so he could reach the branches that were below it so that way he could actually kind of like it would so it reached up its hind legs and then it would actually lower its head to reach the branches so they had to change the animations to make it work so like we could still have this gigantic Brachiosaurus but also bring it you know it could lower itself down enough to actually eat these trees <laughs> um going forward to um uh, the digital man. so um uh, so, so it was Ty Rubin L- Ellingson, I'm probably butchering that name, and I apologize if I am, but he painted digital maps used for the coloring of the Brachiosaurus, getting the skin tone right, and all those kind of things. And the uh, movements were based on both the elephant and the giraffe, apparently. The giraffe was used uh, for the seropods' long strides and grace, while the elephant gave it the weight and mass as it moved. So that's how it just, you know, once again, delivering all that um, just tremendous math. I don't know how much Brachiosaurus actually weighed back in the day or how much an estimated the weight, but... A lot. A lot. <laughs> is a, definitely a uh, idea there. And here. And also, um, further on, some of the, some of the monsters developed um, for uh, Jurassic Park were also used by George Lucas when he was releasing the somewhat controversial but um, recuts of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, the Ronto for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope for episode one for me is the next and the special edition basically was created from a modified model of the brachiosaurus from the film Jurassic Park um, um, industrial light and magic even referred to Ronto as Bronto before it was renamed to Ronto for the Star Wars film and uh, basically they just gave it some you know, little alien effects on the sides of it and then dropped the B to call it Ronto and so then they use that move they use that brachiosaurus model in a new hope and you can see it in the film in the special edition scenes of the CGI, so that looks mm-hmm. really, really cool, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun fact to see a little bit of Jurassic Park crossing over Star Wars and how, like, when these movies are this big, they all work together. Well, you know, George Lucas and Spielberg are pretty good friends, too, so I'm sure anything that, you know, he wanted to use, he Spielberg probably said, sure, go ahead. Yeah. Um, one of the um, kind of, like, more vocal criticisms of the movie was that some of the movie's changes were novel were criticized, I mean, like, like, um, Ian Malcolm voiced all of Michael Michael Crichton's ethical concerns of the movies. Original Michael Crichton just kind of as a narrator, kind of in the book, like voiced all the ethical concerns with having a Jurassic Park, what he was right about. And then later they just kind of just moved all those things on the Ian Malcolm as him being the one namesayer, difficult and saying like life finds a way, and you know you scientists bother whether or not you could, you didn't know whether to think whether or not you should, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So it's kind of like one of the more vocal critiques of the film overall. Um, one piece of continuity from the reboots onto Jurassic World, um, Dr. Wu, um, he became like one of the most central characters of the whole franchise now because now he's basically like the central geneticist and chief geneticist of Jurassic World as well, bringing the dinosaurs to the second park and bringing them all back. And so that was kind of interesting where like they originally, he was just a small time role, but then because sequels continue on and the Hollywood machine keeps on chugging, he eventually became a much bigger role and, uh, probably be even more seen in the next Jurassic World film. <clears throat> Moving on, um, some of the aspects of um, of Hammond is that um, 
we talked about a little bit earlier is that he's kind of like a Disney-esque person of trying to create a this image of sparing no expense and making sure everything is safe and wonderful and lovely. But in the movie, you can see, this is another fun fact, the um, self-driving Ford Explorers, despite having all the stock features like that, didn't actually have seatbelts. Um, so it kind of reveals the fact that like he was so preoccupied of thinking that he had everything in control, he didn't bother even with like some of the most basic fundamental safety concerns you'd have for you know, having a vehicle and something like that. Um, the self-driving Ford Explorers also weren't actually self-driving. They um, basically had a, a camera set up in the front of the Ford Explorers, and they had camera. They had operators in the back seat driving the Ford Explorers through the Jurassic Park. You know, so they had just had crew members staying in the back, and that way the other actors could just stay in the front of the car. And did they have a? Didn't I read somewhere where they had like a um, like a video screen under there so they could drive? You know what I mean? So they could yeah, see they where they like were a, driving? Yeah, they had like a small monitor kind of built into the back right. and they would actually drive it through the monitor, which I imagine would be very difficult. Right. There was even one cutscene where um, they were going to apparently going to drive over a bridge with the driverless um, the driverless four explorers, but the um, the uh, Joseph Mazzello, the his father um, had moral had uh, had uh, safety concerns about that, so they actually ended up cutting that scene out because they just didn't do it. Um, so they because they didn't want to risk accidentally driving over the bridge and causing serious <laughs> battle death. Harm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know because that's obviously a very dangerous idea of like. Imagine like having a small little you know monitor screen from 1992 and trying to drive an Ford Explorer through it. Not exactly safe. Right. <laughs> yeah. The original ending had a little more of a, a graphic and uh, probably would have gotten a harsher rating if it had happened. But the original ending had a rib from the T Rex skeleton actually skewer one of the Raptors when it um, broke off. Um, but it seemed also a little too phony, and the crew sh- and the crew approached Steven Spielberg to come up with a better ending. They all pitched ideas, but, Sp- but Spielberg came up with the finale. He needed T Rex to be the star at the end and the hero, so that's why he has this whole kind of like triumphant return where he bounces in and then like takes up the T Rexes and saves the day basically in his own little way, uh, her own little way. Female T Rex, by the way. Fun fact. <laughs> Right, so also, uh, sure, Sean Connery, which is one of my favorite actors, he was offered the role of John Hammond based on his performance as Professor Henry Jones Sr. in Indiana Jones' The Last Crusade. He turned it down. I could see that. That would have been a great cast for him. It would have been, you know, like there's a thousand different versions of this movie that could have been made that would have been all amazing too. I'm happy with what we got, but I, you know, but I can't help but think of like what about the what if scenarios. Oh yeah, I mean, when when we get to that one that we did for James Cameron, that he had the whole cast that he thought, uh, yeah, a totally different movie. Just yeah, completely different movie. Just (laughs) and Jeff Goldblum's favorite line in this movie is "Life finds a way." Here you go. This one, this one was kind of surprising to me. Jim Carrey was considered for the role of Ian Malcolm. <laughs> could you see Jim Carrey doing it? I don't know if I could. That would have, uh, yeah. Once again, like it's something that I would have loved to have seen, but I'm happy with what we got instead. Right. <laughs> uh, Sandra Bullock, Gwyneth Paltrow, Julianne Moore, Helen Hunt, Terry Hatcher, Elizabeth Hurley, and Sherilyn Finn tested for the role of uh, Ellie Sattler. Julianne Moore played Dr. Sarah Harding in The Lost World, Jurassic Park, 1997. So I could see most of those people playing that role. Um, it wouldn't be that far-fetched. Yep. Um, like we said, this finished on budget, and it was actually 12 days ahead of schedule. Um, Welcome to Jurassic Park was Sir Richard Audenbaum's favorite line from this film. Uh, you covered the size and weight of the animatronic 
T-Rex mm-hmm. already. Uh, another cool fact I have is that the, um, the in the first half of the film, with the exception of the Brachiosaur, the dinosaurs are all below the character's eye films for mm-hmm. the first, you know, half of the film, symbolizing that they're like they have control over the animals and it's actually a safe place. But in the except, but in the second half, with the exception of the the Dilophosaur, the 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 dinosaurs are always above the upper half of the frame to indicate that they are a you know very valid threat that could you know just you know completely murder you <laughs> in seconds, yeah. as they would in real life if they ever existed. So that's how they get more of the shift of tone of having like a fun movie to a horror movie being really good. Uh, um, a lot of the sounds for this movie were made up from animals, and this is no exception. So. The sounds of the Lusseropters make when communicating is the same sound tortoises make when having sex. So I was like, didn't know that, but interesting Now fact. you do. Now all oh, you do too. But didn't know tortoises made noise when they Think had about sex, that next time you watch the movie. I'm a turtle. I'm a turtle. <laughs> I'm a turtle. Uh, the shell is tightened. <laughs> for the part where the T-Rex catches a gallimimus and shakes it in her mouth, the sound was taken from sound designer Gary Rydstrom's Jack Russell Terrier shaking a toy in its mouth. <laughs> That's great. Uh, James Cameron said in an interview he wanted to do the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Grant, Bill Paxton as Malcolm, and Charlton Heston as Hammond, and I think that that would have been a very interesting film. <laughs> it's like a sequel to The Predator. When he asked me, it's just like the idea of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, <laughs> I think that would have been a great... I, I, it's an amazing film, but also, what is that film at that point? Just completely different of just, you know, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger taking on a T-Rex or a Velociraptor, yeah. to be honest. Hand-to-hand combat. He's, he's, gonna, he's gonna, like, I Arnold can see Schwarzenegger's like, gonna punch a Velociraptor he's, in he's the He's gonna face. go to full code in and just grab the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex jaws and just... Yeah, rip it over down. Yeah. Just like, he made, he's inside the jaws. I was like Hercules and just yeah. pouring it <laughs> That'd be an amazing shot, let's be honest. I want to see that movie too. Yeah, you covered that already about the thing. No. Um, so the sounds made by the Dilophosaurus were a combination of sounds of howler monkeys, hawks, rattlesnakes, and swans. Uh, the main cries of Velociraptors were a combination of sounds of elephant seals, or elephant seal pups, dolphins, and walruses. And the elephant seal sounds were recorded at the Marine Mammal Center in Sausalito, California, a marine mammal hospital that rehabilitates and releases sick and injured seals and sea lions. Mm, excuse me. Uh, newspaper clippings on the fridge in Grant's trailer read, Space aliens stole my face and dinosaurs on Mars. I hate when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like they said, no one knew what raptor sounded like, so to get an interesting sound, they recorded a young dolphin in heat recorded underwater. It put uh, it put him in a certain mood and made a wonderful scream. Not at all like a dolphin. When Molden was hissed at, that was actually an agitated goose. And speaking of that, I was walking into work. Um, it was raining, and I was walking into work, and you know them stupid uh, Canadian geese or whatever they are yes. that are everywhere. Yes. And I must have been walking too close to a nest or something because I, I looked over and he's standing right there and he's going, <laughs> and I was like, what in the world? I'm about ready to be attacked by a ge- Canadian geese. I mean, because they so you, oh man, they're they're just everywhere. They are overtaking. I, they are this America's Jurassic Park. I mean, yeah, American geese. <laughs> well, we're gonna go ahead and close out this first part of Jurassic Park. Um, we're almost about the, at the hour mark already. So, um, yeah, well, good job, Kyle, so far. But once we yep. start the next episode, we're just gonna go ahead and jump right into uh, more interesting facts because there's still I still have. Pages and pages, pages and pages. pages. So um, with that being said, let's go ahead and close out this first episode. And that's a wrap. And Kyle, take it away. And cut. <laughs>